What's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome back to the Pelican Debrief Podcast. We're coming out on a clip of about one per week right now. Last week, we had Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report NBA. Big thanks to him and all of our guests this summer, Jeff Duncan, Ian Levy, Jordan Crawford, Mason Ginsburg, Brendan Clean, and many, many, many more. Go back and check out all of those. They're still applicable today. Talking about free agency, Drew Holiday, Chris Finch, Sam Mitchell, all those guys. But today, we're discussing the designated player exception. And we're talking to our good buddy, Matthew Huff of NugLove.com about how to fill that void. Let's bring him on, you guys. It's time to phone a friend. And now we are welcoming onto the podcast our good old buddy, Matthew Huff of NugLove.com. What is going on, Matthew? Not much. What's been up with you? Uh, nothing, man. It is the doldrums of the offseason right there. It's it's difficult to make yourself uh, report on your team when there's literally just nothing happening. Although I go over to your side, man, you've been killing it. You've got some great articles on uh, assembling super teams and uh, the future of Gary Harris as a ball handler. You guys should check that out. A little uh, draft uh, analysis on Justin Patton. You've just been killing working to the bone every day uh, uploading content on your site so kudos to you it must be fun having all that cap space is it is it fun to like dream of what of the possibilities that are out there in free agency right now for you guys i would be lying if i said that it was it would it, that i don't dream about possible scenarios every day that we could use with that cap space <laughs> whether they're realistic or not is another thing but yeah it's definitely fun having all that cap space yeah, I bet. I, I bet if you guys ever wanted to get content on your site, if you were ever short of, uh, of views for a week, you could just come out with these uh, five best free agents for the Nuggets to target and just get I don't know, tens of thousands of hits because the, the interest level must be so high uh, in, into free agency for Nuggets fans right now. Oh, yeah, it is. Let's see. I'm looking on your site at Super Team Number One. Sorry, this is such thrilling uh, podcast material right now, and that's that's bringing Jimmy Butler to town. Anyway, a bunch of uh, we're getting off topic, and that's my fault. We are here to talk about the Pelicans' designated player exception, and just to give you guys a quick summary of what this is, Larry Kuhn um, uh, is cited. Uh, he's he's an expert with the CBA, and Danny LaRue does an excellent breakdown of what a designated player exception is on RealGM.com. Plus, Ali Cassell of TheBirdRights.com does a great way of explaining how the Pelicans acquired this designated player exception. Now, what exactly happened was everybody knows that we traded for DeMarcus Cousins and we got the exception. What people don't know is Buddy Heald was actually traded separately from the main trade. The main trade was Boogie Cousins, Omri Caspi, a first-round pick and a second-round pick, for Langston Galloway and Tyreek Evans. That was the crux of the trade. And then Buddy Heald was added in separately so that the Pelicans could acquire that trade exception. Now, how this helps us, it doesn't help us if Drew Holiday leaves and we're under the cap and all that stuff. If Drew Holiday does resign and we do operate over the cap, we have that $3.5 million exception that we can use to acquire talent. Now, an important thing to note, you can't combine it with a player. You can't combine it with another exception. We can't get an exception, another trade, and put the two together and get, you know, um, what's his name? Jeremy Lamb from Charlotte. We can't, you know, package it with Quincy Pondexter and get Jeremy Lamb. The only thing that we can do is acquire a 
a player who costs $3.6 million or less. And believe it or not, there aren't that many people who are signed to contracts at $3.6 million or less. And the one who has been linked to a trade to the New Orleans Pelicans for probably about the past six months, an ideal candidate, we need a wing, we need a score, uh, someone who kind of fills the Jordan Crawford role but maybe can play a, a few more minutes, starter minutes, uh, is a guy by the name of Will Barton. And that's why we have Matthew Huff here. Again, welcome, Matthew. And uh, take us take us through the history of Will Barton as a Denver Nugget. Before we get to, to trade conversation and all that stuff, you acquired him for the Trailblazers, I believe, for right. Aaron Lalo with a first-round pick. What has life been like with Will Barton in Denver? Life has been a roller coaster ride with Will Barton, to be perfectly frank. He came in from the Blazers, and he looked to be a steal in that Trailblazers trade, actually, right off the bat. He was a six-man-of-the-year candidate uh, two seasons ago now, and a lot of people actually say that he, sh- he technically, if you look at the statistics, because his st- stats were actually better than Jamal Crawford's that year. Technically, he should have been the winner, but that's beside the point. And then this season, he started off really hot at the beginning of the season. But I think you kind of alluded to this earlier. Malone just couldn't find him the necessary minutes he needs in order to get hot. And so he kind of tailed off at the end of the season. And now we know that he wants to test the free agent waters next year. And with the way he struggled at the end of this season, just how much of a firecracker he can be with how hot and cold he is, I'm thinking it's best. It's, this is the best time for us to trade him and get something in return for him. Because if there's anything we've learned in the NBA the last couple of years when it comes to trades, it's it's better to get something for nothing in the long run. Definitely. And I want to go back to something that uh, you alluded to. We talked about it off air before we got onto the podcast. Matthew and I are such chums now that we'll just uh, go on and on whether the recorder is on or off. Uh, he said that that basically Will Barton needs to get minutes to be effective. And uh, Mike Malone was quoted as saying, I I dug this up before the podcast, about a year and a half ago, midway through the 2016 season, he said it's a challenge, or I guess this was during the season. Let me start over. (laughs) So through the beginning point of 2016, the first 30 games in, he was averaging 19 points, six rebounds, four assists, 49% from the field, 41% from three-point line. Like you said, he was a strong candidate for the sixth uh, Man of the Year award. The problem with that is he was playing much better when he was playing over 30 minutes a game. And he was playing much worse if he was playing less than that. And Mike Malone was quoted, as I was about to say, it's a challenge. When I'm able to play him extended minutes, he's like a different player. But when you've got, you know, Jameer Nelson heading the point, you've got Moutier, this uh, high lottery round pick that you need to get minutes for. You've got Jamal Murray, another lottery pick, Gary Harris, a breakout star, Wilson Chandler. And then you've got, you know, this uh, this new rookie that I that Matthew and I are both taken with, Malik Beasley. you got to get minutes for these guys. And there's not a lot of room for somebody like Will Barton to play 32 minutes a game. So I just wanted to touch on that. That's that's what you meant. This guy is not going to do you any favors sitting on the bench. And like you said, he's got one year left, $3.0 million. Is Is there anything inside of you that says, you know... You, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, maybe like it, if you guys are bringing stuff. No, I, I would say Gary Harris. Gary Harris, you would consider as untradeable at this point, right? Absolutely. Gary Harris is untradeable. So 
Jamal Murray isn't going anywhere. You have to believe Malik Beasley isn't going anywhere. So yeah, unless there's some kind of injury risk, there's just not a lot you can do with uh, with Will Barton. Would you consider ever going with a small ball lineup, something like a... You guys are in the market for a new point guard too, right? Are you putting uh, yes, are you we are because Jamal Murray at point guard in 2017? We started him, I think, for two games at point guards, and he actually did really well. Whether that experiment ends out, out in the future is still remains to be seen. But with the way Moody A, the way the Moody A mix experiment has not panned out, I, yeah, we're definitely in the market for a point guard just to be safe right now. Because if you start Murray at point guard and relegate uh, Nelson to the bench, you actually could find uh, a good bit of minutes for Barton behind Gary Harris as sort of your your sixth man off the bench. But eventually you, you will have to find time for Malik Beasley. So right. let's let's just get right into it. Um, Barton strong suits, uh, shooting the three. He has improved mightily each season, yeah. uh, and he's been shooting in higher volume. This year he was 39% above the break. 57% from the right corner, although an abysmal 18% from the left corner. I don't know why he ever takes that shot. 36% from catch and shoot. 39% from three when he's open, four to six open feet. 38% from from uh, a defender with two open feet. This is all from NBA.com slash stats. Anybody can look this up. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't watched this much Denver Nuggets basketball to, complete, to be completely honest. Um, Talk about his game as a three-point shooter. Do you value him as that? You spoke uh, about him being a bit streaky earlier. Is is he a reliable three-point shooter, or do you do you kind of uh, grasp your chest every time you see him pull up from three? That's an interesting question. The best analogy I can kind of come up with right now, he's, he's kind of a poor man's J.R. Smith, because J.R. Smith was a lot like that, only at a higher level when he played for us he would make these insane three-pointers and then, like, he missed, like, the most wide-open shot. But the difference is Will Barton, I think, is a tad bit more reliable but from three, but when it comes to mid-range or driving to the hole, you never know what you're going to get with him. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay, so uh, never know what you're going to get. Sounds unreliable. Sounds a lot like uh, some of the shooters we've had in the past. Uh, Tyreek <laughs> Evans comes to mind, um, although he did shoot better in this previous season. One thing I did want to touch on about Will Barton, and let me, let me see if you agree with this. Um, uh, a lady, I, I'm trying to think of her name. I think it was a, a Alexa or Alexia of the Denver Post, a sports reporter, was writing about the Denver Nuggets last season. And she wrote that Mike Malone, midway through the 2016 season when he was candidate for the sixth man of the year, she said he hadn't run any plays for Will Barton the entire season to that point. Those career-high 16 points a game had largely been the result of Barton just uh, bailing out like skidding possessions, basically just finding the ball and finding a way to to get it into the net. Uh, would Would you say, in your opinion, that Will Barton can be a, a kind of master of chaos when things are falling apart. He can find a way to get the ball into the basket. Yeah, I think that's actually a perfect explanation of what he can be. Okay, great. So talk about talk about his game and how he doesn't need the ball to necessarily be effective and to score points. Well, he does a good job of creating space to get open. So I mean, he can't. He not only can he, you know rely on off-ball screens in order to get his shot. He also, he's a lot more quick and athletic than people 
realize like he's kind of deceptive in that way when you first look at him you know he's kind of this you know lanky little guard who kind of doesn't really intimidate you at first and then and then you see him start playing and he's actually a lot faster than the opponent anticipates a lot of time which and he is that which allows him to make cuts to the basket and then get open or cut to the basket for an easy layup sometimes because you know when you have Nikola Jokic dishing out sick assists I mean anything's possible let's be honest and that's kind of what I would say I describe his game as Okay, and and talk a bit about his size. Uh, he's about six six one seventy. Does he get bullied around? Is he capable of of posting up against uh, smaller defenders? Like, let's say, um, you know, we go up to Portland, and uh, you know, Drew Holiday is going to have to go back and forth between C.J. McCollum and Damian Lindlard. This is all on the premise that we've re-signed Drew Holiday. By the way, right. can can he take advantage of of a defender, say, a C.J. McCollum? He's obviously got the length, but not necessarily the size. How How is he at bodying up opponents, or does he just rely on that, like, herky-jerky Tyreek Evans sort of just, like, bouncing around and somehow finding a way to get around a defender? Based on what I've seen, kind of like Tyreek Evans, he mainly relies on that herky-jerky motion in order to draw a foul, which he does do more often than you would think. But he's definitely not someone, as you said, he's only, what, like, I think you said 170 pounds. He's yeah. definitely not someone who's going to bully you down in the post. But, like, then again, you know, he does have the length to shoot over the smaller guards that he might be faced with down in the paint when he gets that opportunity. Um, I, I looked up an article before we started from Sports Illustrated, and let's see the author. It is Rob Mahoney, and he has a quote. It says, being skinny, you've got to figure out ways to still finish a- around the rim through contact. When I was young, I always attacked the rim, and I figured out ways to get there, whether it was jumping off the opposite foot, using a fake, all kinds of different floaters, and off-balance shots. I made it a part of my game by working on it every day. Now, according to his numbers, which I had in front of me, but honestly, I have so many windows open right now, it's impossible to find <laughs> anything. <laughs> but uh, just just on based on your eye test, would you say that Will Barton is getting better every year and that his game is getting clear and uh, cleaner and becoming more of a veteran, like uh, more of a staple of, uh, you know, just using stutter step moves? Or would you say it's all based on instinct and he's just been getting by on athleticism and somehow just uh, figuring his his way to the basket would would you say that his work is paying off in the form of technique i guess is the better question based off of my eye test i would say he's getting better every year i mean he was he did not many people knew about him when he was a portland trailblazer and then when he came over i mean he just erupted as we kind of talked about already and I know his stats would decrease this year, but if you're asking me to just go off of what I'm seeing when I watch him play on TV and whatnot, I think in the right environment, he can continue to thrive. And he, like you said, if you just give him the minute, then he can find, he can develop a rhythm and really do some great things for you. Now he's got kind of a, would you say he's got a higher dribble, one of those uh, strange carryover dribbles where, where it's yeah. easy for him to lose the handle. Have you seen him tighten up his dribble? How is he as a ball handler? Is it, it ball handler? Is it something that's been improving in his game, or is it something that still makes you nervous when you see him take the ball up the court? It's something that's been improving bit by bit, but still, if I if I'm out of all the ball handlers on my team, I'm going to want either my point guards or even Gary Harris to handle the ball, ball bring up the court before he does. If I'm being perfectly honest. 
Okay, so he's somebody that that you want like running around screens, sitting at the three point yeah. line, and uh, it sounds like he would work really well actually in the system uh, that. And and we'll touch on Chris Finch in a bit, but basically on this the system that he might be instilling with uh, DeMarcus Cousins, where DeMarcus takes the ball at the elbow, he dribble penetrates a bit, and then he uses uh, screens and high pick and rolls. And uh, the perimeter players for the Pelicans, they have to be great shooters, which it seems like Barton is-ish a pretty good shooter. And uh, they also have to be able to drive and find their way to the cup um, because they should be allowed space by this this operating space that Anthony Davis is going to be giving by putting him on the perimeter. He's been working more on a on a Kevin Durant type game, using these uh these these floaters from the baseline and these high arching uh, jump shots. His jump shot has actually gotten has gotten really pretty. So it seems like catching the ball, taking two dribbles, and getting to the hoop is something that that Will Barton is going to do very well as a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. Absolutely. I'm I'm willing to bet money on it with that system you guys run there, especially with DeMarcus Cousins down low and Anthony Davis, like you said, improving his game. I think he'll be able to really thrive in that system of your guys's. Okay, now tell me what makes you tell me what you hate about Will Barton's game. Tell me like uh, if, if you could name one negative attribute that you <laughs> think he's never going to fix, what would you put that on? Oh, man, that's a toss-up between two things. I can't really decide which one, so I'll just tell you both. But between his shot selection, which is very poor at times because he just gets almost a little too confident, and then he launches these crazy heat checks after he's gotten in rhythm, and then he hoists up, like, a gray line three-point shot, and you're wondering, is it just left scratching your head? Or, and this is just kind of a team-wide thing, as you probably know, his defense, and as you know, Denver was, I think, 29th ranked in defensive efficiency this year, so this was a kind of a team-wide thing, but he is not going to shut down the best play- offensive player on the team. Like, if you need a lockdown defender, you do not need Will Barton. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. So you would call him, uh, and Bill Simmons calls him, the irrational confidence guy. Yeah. yeah yep. Now, with the Irrational Confidence guy, that brings me to another story. Uh, how much do you know about Will Barton's background? Again, this is stuff I, I looked up just before our conversation on Wikipedia. This is actually from BlazersEdge.com, which is uh, the SB Nation uh, site dedicated to the Portland Trail Blazers. And it tells a story about how his mother worked the night shift, and mm-hmm. he and his brother took care of of his sister's infant child while she was in prison for a stabbing. Have you heard about any of this? Yes, I have. I I couldn't quite remember, but now that you mention it, yeah, I I do remember reading about it. Apparently in high school, he and his brother would trade off taking care of the infant while his mother was working, and her job would take her so late into the morning that sometimes they would miss school or be late for school because they had been up all night taking care of this kid, and he never mentioned it. None of his teammates knew. None of his coaches knew. When he got to college, he still didn't tell anyone, and he says when he got to college, that was the first time he had ever had his own bed. Um, (laughs) He called himself the people's champion in, in Portland, which I love. I just really think that new Orleans would really love this guy. How much do you like this guy's attitude? What is he like in interviews? I, you know, he's actually someone who is a, is a little more quiet than I expected, which is perfectly fine with me, but I, I actually love his attitude. You know, 
I like I know I was talking earlier about how his shot selection drives me insane at times, but his confidence and just you know his determination to get better and better is something I think every team could use when it comes to an attitude with a certain player. Now I'm hesitant to use this analogy, um, but I'm trying to think of a better one. Obviously, the the news about Chris Bosh and Nick Fairley of the New Orleans Saints, uh, both of them experiencing heart complications that could jeopardize their career. Let's say, and I hate to say this, it's such a negative thing to say. Let's let's say Jamal Murray just retires. He he decides he doesn't want to play basketball anymore. Or Gary Harris, same thing. Uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, life-threatening <laughs> injury. Uh, let's say right. for some reason doesn't want to play basketball for the Denver Nuggets. How much is Will Barton worth to you should you enter renegotiations with him under that premise? Under that premise, he's worth a lot to me because, you know, we we just have a, such a clog at the guard spot right now, as you kind of mentioned earlier, where he, unfortunately he's kind of the odd man out with all this young talent we have and with the way Gary's developing. But like you said, if something by some weird scenario, Gary or Jamal decides just not to play anymore, then he, I think he's still a player that Denver values enough to keep him around under that premise, that is. So it sounds like you really value this guy. So obviously you don't want to lose him for nothing. And, um, you know, going forward in 2018, there's there's really no room for Will Barton on the on the Nuggets roster, providing no. Uh, no, some change happens. So obviously he's he's going to leave. But with that being said, he he carries a minimal cost. It sounds like he's a very productive player who's getting better. Why not keep him around and and just see if if head coach Mike Malone can find some kind of small ball lineup that provides the minutes that Will Barton needs to be successful? Because there's still no guarantee that he's going to be willing to stay if he once he hits free agency. And if you're if I'm Mike Malone or Tim Conley, I'm not going to want to risk you know with such a young team that's showing great potential and and possibly the possibility of making the postseason as an eight seed next year. I'm not going to want to lose a key part of my team for absolutely nothing. I'm going to at least try to get something in return. Just I know that sounds kind of it sounds kind of cold, but that's just the way of the business operates in the NBA. So if you're Conley, you just want, you don't want to take that risk of him leaving you high and dry. You want to at least, you know, get something in return, whether it be, you know, cap space or some extra cash for, to create the extra cap space or even a draft pick or a solid role player to help that would complement Denver's second unit. Well, well, so that, I mean, it's not, it's not a case of, you know, we hate Will Barton. It's just a case of, you know, we just got to do what's best for the organization, unfortunately. No, the reason I'm asking is because I'm I'm just trying to assess how how much you value his talent, how important he is to the franchise. Um, and it seems like you're pretty desperate to get rid of him at this point. So with that being said, what is your offer to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, general manager, Matthew Huff? My offer would be Will Barton just straight up for Monty Yunus and Pondexter. Oh man, I, I would take that ten times. Uh, I would I would yeah. take it every day of the week and, and twice on Sunday. The one caveat <laughs> that I'll give you is uh, Monty Yunus unfortunately is a free agent at this point, so he would have to go with you guys in a uh, in a sign and trade. Unfortunately. Um, but you could go with Quincy Pondexter straight up because Quincy is at 3.9. And should he regain his health, uh, he was an incredibly valuable player for the New Orleans Pelicans in 2015. Right. 
and he's someone the Pelicans are still greatly hoping can return. But with that being said, with the the, the knee injuries that he's had, um, you're definitely taking a risk. But you know what? Will Barton's not going to play anyway. And should Quincy Pondexter return to form, he's really the ideal uh, player for not just your franchise, but any franchise. He's the player that everybody's searching for, that great defender in yeah. three wing who can hit the three, who uh, who's a great communicator. I, I think his... His greatest contribution to the Pelicans wasn't his shooting and it wasn't his defense. It was his communication. He was the leader that the Pelicans desperately needed at a time when we didn't have anybody stepping up to that. We had we had Tyreek Evans and, and a very mild-mannered Anthony Davis. Um, it was just a disjointed team, and he brought in that connectivity. But with that being said, I don't think he's if, – if he does play this season at all, I – I'd be very surprised if he returned uh, to even 75% of his form after the injuries that he sustained. But with that being said, you've got a deal, man. Here's the handshake. It's too late. No takes backs. Um, yeah. But with that being said, you, you, unfortunately, we can't give you Monte Yunus because uh, he's no longer a part of the Pelicans organization unless you want to package him in a sign and trade. And, uh, hey, then we could just acquire another designated player exception off you guys. We could have two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, depending on how much you guys sign him to. And Monty Yudas has had a really bad break of things. I don't know how much, uh, how privy you are to the knowledge of this. I'm I'm very loose. Uh, we are not experts by any stretch of the imagination. Fansided is all about fans. This is the ultimate home for fans that you're listening to. Basically, you are listening to, uh, I'd like to think, uh, pretty average to uh, intelligent uh, fans who, who watch a lot of basketball, can't get enough of it, and uh, really enjoy just shooting the S. Uh, shooting the breeze about it, I, I should say, with each other. And Matthew is one of my favorite guys to do it with. Um, but what I do know is that he agreed with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he was a restricted free agent, and he agreed to something along the lines of a four-year and $38 million contract. Now, what's complicated about that is Houston matched it, but they didn't match the $38 million because six or $7 million of it was based on performance bonuses and so uh, Mati Yunus was really upset by that. He wanted the same contract, but they only had to match the base parameters of the contract. So he was going to lose six, seven million throughout the, the course of the contract. So he didn't report to the physical for a few days. And then he did. And the Rockets didn't pass him. And so he just went back to being a free agent. Only now he can't agree to a contract with the Nets for at least one calendar year. And nobody else in the NBA wanted to come close to those numbers. So now he's in a legal dispute. He's actually suing the NBA. And you just have to feel for this guy. Um, he didn't get the opportunity he needed in New Orleans, especially once uh, the Marcus Cousins came to town. So hopefully he can find his way to Denver and uh, put some meaningful minutes off the bench for you guys. Where do you see him fitting in with you guys? Well, a lot of it actually depends on if we decide to re-sign Mason Plumlee or not. But uh, he basically, he would be coming off the bench to provide us just some solid role playing to provide some quality minutes when um, Jokic needs rest or whoever we might draft for a power forward. And hopefully, I don't, I'm not too sure about what his rim protection ability is like, but just hopefully give us some solid defensive minutes if that's what we need help with most on that end. Now, we've joked in the past, uh, Matthew and I had a podcast. I think probably around the last week of May, basically just going over Drew Holiday and kind of a similar podcast. We were uh, negotiating a, a sign and trade with Drew Holiday and Matthew was giving his take on basically it was just mirroring this topic of uh, 
the exchange between the two franchises. And in this case, I'm going to try to collect myself and find a point through all this madness. It's <laughs> almost like Alzheimer's is creeping up on me. I'm not quite old enough yet to be experienced. <laughs> it, uh, but we've gone back and forth with how players fit and don't fit with each other's franchises. And one thing to to go to the next topic, since I can't recall where I was going with this one, one question that you guys will be facing is uh, what decisions to make with some of your free agents, not just Mason Plumley, but you've got one year left of Wilson Chandler. You mentioned Will Barton, but you don't mention Chandler because he's actually got a role with the Nuggets mm-hmm. and uh, he fills those minutes and he plays them well, but he's only got one year left. And then you'd have to think he's going to want a, a pretty big payday because it might be the last big one he gets and uh you still we talked about Gallinari on that podcast as well and he's a decision that you guys are going to have to make and I think you valued him at about what he's making now about 16 million a year and I don't think he went over 20 and to be completely honest I don't know if he gets a four-year 80 million dollar contract on the free agent market um have you revisited that since we last spoke do you still sit around there yeah, I still sit around there. However, I will disagree with you on he doesn't get a max deal. I think there will be a team that will be willing to give him that, like especially if a team like the Celtics, you know, strikes out on on a free agent like Gordon Hayward, then there's st- who's going to still be in need of a three who can stretch the floor well and just provide some valuable scoring. I could see Boston, you know, just coughing up the big bucks just to, in order to kind of fill that void for them, or even the Clippers for that matter. I can see the Clippers doing it, especially if they lose Blake Griffin and uh, they right. kind of just try to salvage. Uh, he, and he actually could fit in well with them because right now they've got uh, two albatross uh, players, just slow-footed guys, Blake Griffin and DeAndre yeah. Jordan, who, who really just can't play on the floor together um, in, in this ever-evolving NBA where the, the big man is slowly being phased out. Uh, you've got Draymond Green and Tristan Thompson playing the bulk of the minutes at center. Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love can't even see the floor to – to preview the NBA Finals Game 5 right. a bit. So we're in this league right now where Gallinari might actually make the Clippers a better team than Blake Griffin. So that's I, I would think that would be a stronger possibility than Boston because I think Boston first goes after Hayward, of course, um, and provided oh, Hayward doesn't go to Miami or Utah, I think they chase Blake Griffin after that. And if that doesn't work out... You know what? I think they, they, they keep riding this train of just uh, accumulating picks and uh, roll over their... Actually, you know what? You're right, because this is their last year to really spend, because next year they're going to have to pay all these guys. They're going to have to pay Thomas, pay Bradley. They're going to have to start thinking about uh, a future with or without Jay Crowder. I'm trying to think who else is uh, in in line for a payday over there, but you're right. Possibly Marcus Smart, maybe. Marcus Smart, there it is. Thank you. Uh, They would conceivably have to have to give the big bucks to Gallinari, but not only that, you guys are also stuck with... um, Wilson Chandler, as we said, and Kenneth Fareed. You guys have a yep. lot of decisions to make, not just in free agency, but also on the trade market. Where do you guys sit right now with Kenneth Fareed? Oh, let me tell you, I'm going to front you with this before I say this. It, it hurts me deeply to say this, but I'm starting to wonder if Kenneth Fareed's days are done with us. And I, I love the hustle the guy provides. I mean, when he first came into the league, for us, he was one of my favorite team players on the team. Uh, just just because of the hustle and rebounding he provided, and I thought, he, you know, he's one of those players where just because of his hustle alone, I think he has a place on any NBA team. But with that contract and with him kind of hitting his ceiling, 
I think if the right trade offer comes along, especially in this year's draft, I think Denver's going to have to ship him just just because in terms of looking towards the future and just realizing that, you know, it might be beneficial for both sides to move on and bond. I know you guys gave your 2017 first round pick to the Trailblazers with Yusuf right. Nurkic. They gave you back a, a second round pick. So you do you guys have two second round picks in the 2017 draft, or do they give you an 18 second round? Don't quote me. I want to say it's, it's an 18 second round pick, but I'm not sure. That's that's for the best because um, uh, with with picks coming this close, it's probably it's probably going to be difficult to offload them. So pushing it into the future yeah. is is for the best. The Trailblazers have have a lot of stuff to figure out themselves. They are going to be deep into luxury tax going forward if they yeah. don't start. Getting some salary and and one player that uh, we might talk about the Pelicans going forward is a a Mo Harkless type. He kind of fits that Quincy Pondexter role uh, very well, uh, or an Al Farouk Aminu potentially. The player that they of course will want to get rid of is Evan Turner, and there's no way in any uh, version of hell anybody's going to take on his salary. They're going to be in that circumstance. Plus, uh, they're going to have to pay Nurkic. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're in trouble. They're definitely in trouble where you guys yep. have a ton of cap space. Now, before I let you go, we've already covered that. Uh, the Pelicans, of course, uh, brought in Chris Finch to essentially be our offensive coordinator. And the primary reason we did that was because he was so successful working with Kevin McHale in Houston and turning uh, James Harden into the MVP candidate that he is. He, of course, he was a great player before, but really refined him, his skills, his numbers, steadily improved and the Rockets became one of the best offenses in the league even before Mike D'Antoni joined the scene although D'Antoni was the archetype for putting him at point guard which of course now uh, is brilliant in hindsight but he went up to Denver and as soon as he inserted Jokic into the lineup in December along with Mike Malone of, uh, Malone, of course being the head coach the Nuggets from December 15th were the first uh, ranked team offensively in the entire NBA and a lot of that was around giving the ball to Jokic and letting him kind of use his uh, his fantastic passing ability to run the offense from the elbow. Uh, are you excited to see Chris Finch in New Orleans kind of teaching DeMarcus Cousins to to be uh, some sort of version of Nikola Jokic? I am, although I think you're also going to see a lot of that with um, Anthony Davis too because Anthony Davis has the potential to kind of make those type of plays, same type of plays that Jokic was able to. Although, I mean, Cousins is going to do great things with, with Finch too, but I mean, you you got, you're playing with, you guys are playing with house money with Chris Finch running the offense there. I will say that DeMarcus Cousins is, in my opinion, a much better passer than Anthony Davis. Now he also tends to turn the ball over uh, right. at a pretty, at a pretty high clip, probably about four or five. And it's, it's usually silly stuff like uh, trying to be too cute with the dribble or dribbling the ball off of his foot. But he he makes these dazzling highlight reel passes that uh, just make you jump up and down when they work, but when they don't work, of course. But Anthony Davis averaged two assists this past year. Mm. He has trouble passing out of double teams. When he gets trapped in the corner, it can result in turnovers. He's pretty good at turnovers, only two and a half a game, especially uh, compared to his usage rate, uh, which is substantial. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> I was going to try to divert from that. Uh, I'm sure it's around uh, 30 uh, before DeMarcus Cousins joined the team. But um, 
I, it would be interesting to see Anthony Davis in that type of role, but I, I just see DeMarcus Cousins as the quarterback and Anthony Davis as the as the wide receiver, the one catching the ball and, and attacking the hoop and uh, making the jumpers. His jumper has gotten silky smooth. So uh, I think all Pelicans fans are very excited to have Chris Finch in New Orleans. Do you think it works out? Do you think Chris Finch emerges uh, as, a, as a viable head coaching candidate in 2018? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you kind of let let us know about his resume already. I mean, he was he kind of set the blueprint for that offense in Houston, and look what he did with us. I mean, so far the guy has really done almost nothing wrong in terms of offense. So as a result, that's going to get noticed, and teams are going to, especially teams who are like probably going to be in need of a coach who are just you know wanting to rebuild, like the Brooklyn Nets or someone like that, are definitely going to give him at least a look. Yeah, and you are basically uh, indicating that the Pelicans will be making the playoffs, so I appreciate that. I guess what I was trying to allude to is, um, do you think that Finch's success is directly tied to having James Harden, uh, who's this you know once-in-a-lifetime type athlete, uh, sports science, labeled him as, as the best player in the world at decelerating. Obviously, he can't jump very high. He doesn't run faster than anybody else. He is very strong. But decelerating is what makes him such a, a fantastic player and allows him to draw so many fouls. Nikola Jokic not only is such a proficient passer, but uh, he's pretty good with controlling the ball as well. Uh, I'll look it up right now. But uh, just based on your eye test, doesn't turn the ball over and not a lot of poor decisions. Is that what you'd say? Oh, absolutely. With his usage rate, and uh, he only turned the ball over two times a game as the quarterback with a with a five assist to two turnover ratio that's near elite. Three to one is considered uh, all-star to elite level. And as a center to have those numbers, those are pretty substantial. So hopefully DeMarcus Cousins will be able to match it. But for now... Um, Matthew, uh, thank you so much for giving us Will Barton. I think we'll be able to put him right into the starting lineup uh, alongside Drew Holiday and uh, allow Etuan Moore to go back to being on the bench, something that he he was uh, very well suited for. Uh, he, his game is just steadily improving. We could do a whole podcast about his his runners, his dribble penetration, how comfortable he looks on the perimeter, his defense. Um, he's just a very, very valuable player, a very solid uh, starter, but but I enjoy bringing him off the bench alongside Jordan Crawford, who uh, is much the same player that Will Barton is. The only difference is uh, Jordan Crawford's numbers were a bit better, especially in conjunction with yeah. being on the floor with DeMarcus and Anthony Davis. He was shooting over 40% from three, and I think about 47% from the field overall. So he definitely gave the scoring, but not necessarily the uh, the Dremel penetration the ability to get to the hoop that will barton could potentially provide so we're happy to have him uh it was wonderful again doing business with you matthew uh plug your site a bit for us like i said you've got a bunch of articles on there you've been killing it all summer long you've got an article on on farid on uh gary harris being a, a future ball handler on some uh, potential super teams in denver coming this summer tell us about what else we can find on your site coming up yeah, you can also find a lot. Of, I've been doing a lot of draft previews for potential targets the Nuggets may may you know want in the, this coming draft. Like I think you mentioned the draft preview about Justin Patton, and there's also a draft preview for Caleb Swanigan. 
And one of my other writers, Blake, I think he wrote about the five Denver former Denver Nuggets who are participating in right now's final. Like, that's definitely a piece you, you'll definitely want to check out. It's very interesting. Also, it's just very reminiscent of, let's just call say, the good days of Nuggets basketball. Yeah, and this is all uh, applicable to, to Pelicans fans as well, not just Nuggets fans, because like the Nuggets and the Pelicans, we both have no first-round picks. The Nuggets, I'd have to think, are somewhere around our pick in the second round, somewhere around 40. Do you know the exact pick? I, I don't, but yeah, you're right. It's somewhere around there. Okay, so we're all we're going to be looking at the same candidates, and the players that they're going to yeah. be writing about on Nug Love are going to be helpful for Pelicans fans to to learn about and to to see more of going forward, especially if the Pelicans do end up utilizing that pick and not using it in a in a sign and trade for somebody like a. What what I was thinking you were going to say is uh, you were going to take a fortieth overall pick for Will Barton, which um, in most instances doesn't pan out. Of course, this past season, we saw the Milwaukee Bucks point guard. I always get him confused with Malcolm Delaney. Malcolm Brogdon um, played so well, and he was picked somewhere around yeah. there. We saw, we saw Patrick McCaw play very well. He was picked somewhere around there as well. So they do pan out on occasion, but if you need an immediate uh, contributor, it's better to just go with a role player already existing in the NBA, like a Quincy Pondexter, especially if your doctor's Check them out. Some other candidates for that uh, designated player exception, K.J. McDaniels of the Brooklyn Nets, Demetrius Jackson, the Boston Celtics are yeah. going to have to cut ties with him. Doug McDermott, if he uh, shouldn't find his way in, you, you'd have to think Oklahoma City would would keep with him considering they sent a, a pick to get him, but yeah. he hasn't been utilized there properly. But you'd think they'd, they'd keep building a relationship with him. Dwayne Dedman. Uh, although I think he's got some kind of option, a player option, so that's something I'll have to check yeah, on. I, I did an article on him actually a couple of months ago. I think he does have a player option. Yeah, so he's definitely going to be testing the free agent waters. And the last one would yeah. be Troy Daniels of Memphis, uh, kind of in the same vein, uh, a dynamic three-point shooter and doesn't give you much else. But that's kind of what the Pelicans need, and uh, hey, it's a free exception, so why not utilize it? Matthew, again, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Huff underscore Mellow7 and at Nug underscore love, and that's two Gs with Nug, N-U-G-G underscore love. And, of course, you can go to the site and read his content dropping every day at nuglove.com. Matthew, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Sorry, it is midnight as we're recording this, and I can't even find my brain cells right now. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right. Hope to have you on soon, especially as we approach July. We'll definitely have a lot of content coming out. We'll have a lot to talk about once those uh, rumor mills and woge bombs start dropping. Yeah, it's going to be interesting free agency. That's for sure right now. (laughs) All right, buddy. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Pels fans, for tuning in. If you want more content, we've got plenty of it. Just go to blogtalkradio.com slash Pelican Debrief. Listen to our previous interviews with Ian Levy, Jeff Duncan, uh, Mason Ginsburg, Brendan Clean, Ali Cassell had a wonderful interview a few weeks ago. We've got plenty of content on there discussing the offseason. I apologize that we're not coming out with the regular clip that we did during the season, but there's just not a lot to talk about. If you guys do have questions, send them over to Preston Ellis on Twitter. That's at Preston Ellis. Or you can email me directly. PrestonEllis at gmail.com, and we'll have a pod for you guys in no time answering those questions. And maybe we'll bring on our old buddies, Wilton Jackson and Chris Connor, onto the program to discuss them. But for now, thank you guys for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, retweet, like, all that jazz. And uh, 
Yeah, you guys, just a couple more weeks until free agency gets kicked into high gear. So stay by your news ticker. It's almost time for some Woj Bombs. Let's go, pals. (laughs) 